Welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast, conversations with today's top ministry leaders to help you lead better every day. And now podcasting from scenic Colorado Springs, Colorado, here's your host, Jason Day. Hello, friends, and welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I'm your host, Jason Day, and I had an amazing conversation about church revitalization with Daniel M. Daniel is the Director of Church Multiplication at NewChurches.com and Lifeway Christian Resources. He serves as a teaching pastor at The Fellowship, a multi-site church in Nashville, Tennessee. Daniel trains and equips ministry leaders around the world, sharing practical and biblical advice in a variety of ways, including via podcasts that he co-hosts, like the New Church's Q&A podcast, Five Leadership Questions, and his newest podcast, In Between, which he hosts with his lovely wife, Christina. Daniel's latest book is entitled No Silver Bullets, Five Small Shifts That Will Transform Your Ministry. Now, on this week's episode, Daniel and I have a great conversation. We discuss how ministry leaders can avoid the biggest mistake that churches make when approaching revitalization. Daniel provides helpful questions that you can lead your ministry team through to refine your revitalization efforts. We also share why making the distinction between discipleship as destination and discipleship as direction is so vital to helping your church make a bigger impact for the kingdom. Now, this is one of those episodes that you'll want to share with your ministry leaders, so be sure to pass this one along. Let's jump into my conversation with Daniel M. Daniel, welcome to the Church Leaders Podcast. I am so excited that you could be with us, brother. Man, it's so good to be with you, Jason. Awesome. Now, Daniel, you've been blessed. You have... um, uh, for those who who do not know you, you have quite uh, uh, an interesting uh, ministry background. Um, you've, been, you've been involved, That's one way to put it, yeah, in a variety of church church experiences and ministry yeah. leadership roles, literally internationally. Um, you know, Canada, Korea, and, and here in the U.S. And you're a teaching pastor now. You're involved in ministry through Lifeway Leadership and NewChurches.com. You travel literally the world, helping train and equip pastors and ministry leaders. So super excited to have you with us. And and I know that uh, we've we've talked about this. Um, one of the priorities that, that both of us see as we travel and as we coach and help equip churches is that pastors and churches are really focusing in on revitalization. Yeah, for sure. Really, really kind of, you know, pastors are, are recognizing uh, the need to, to focus on becoming an influence for Christ and for the kingdom in their communities, making this spiritual and eternal impact, right? And and this Completely. is just something that, that we see. And, and pastors tend to be very passionate about this, and, and I'm sure that many who are listening in today, pastors and ministry leaders, are, are reflecting on their own ministry, their own church, and their own communities, right? And thinking through, Lord, how how do we make an impact um, for, for the kingdom? And so for myself, speaking to someone who has been in ministry leadership for over 20 years, the majority of that time as a lead pastor. I know, personally know, you know this as well as, as, a, as a pastor, the kind of the urgency, the sincere passion to see your local church, um, those people God has entrusted to you, that community, community to which God has called you, to, to really see it revitalized, to see it making a difference and making an impact for Christ. So, mm-hmm, 100%. yeah. So, so I think the the first question we we understand this is a reality, and so the first question I have for you, Daniel, is through your experiences, through working with churches of all different um, contexts, right? What do you see is really the the biggest mistake 
perhaps we could frame it this way. The biggest mistake that pastors, ministry leaders, churches are making as they're stepping into this um, revitalization effort. Yeah, yeah. The the thing that I see most often is everyone wants the quick fix, right? right? We're, we're addicted to the instant. You want a book? Download it on Kindle, right? Podcast? Stream it on the way to work or, or, or whatnot. So we're, we're always wanting everything right away. And if things don't deliver the res- results right away, you know, immediately, we think, oh, maybe we did it wrong or maybe we need to go find something else. So they're looking for that shortcut or that silver bullet. So a lot of churches are going to, you know, the, the thing that they do most is they'll just go and copy what that successful church down the road does. Right. Right. So Jason, you and I, I mean, on our podcasts, on, on the church leaders one uh, that you host and on the ones that I host, I mean, we interview great ministry leaders. And, and in the course of the interview, they're going to share ideas, stories. We hear this in conferences. We read this in books. And there's usually something that they say they're like, oh, I got to do that. <laughs> yeah. Right. So they take that idea that has been built around a particular context that has been created to meet a specific need. And we kind of take that out kind of like we're doing an organ transplant and we just stick it in, you know, we stick it into our context and we wonder why the organ doesn't last. Why We wonder why the church or the body rejects the transplant mm. because we haven't looked at, you know, what is the blood type? How, you know, is it a match? And is there, you know, all there's so many different circumstances that we just don't take into consideration because we're enamored by the great idea and we just try to copy it into our context. Yeah, yeah, that's that's so good. I love the imagery too because it's so mm. dead on, and we see that. So, so one of the things that I, I think is a challenge for us as pastors and ministry leaders is that this this um, this passion to make an impact um, can be so strong that, like you said, we rush into attempts at pulling together a bunch of you know different different things, whether it's something mm-hmm. we've heard, we've read, we've seen, you know, other churches engaged in, as you've said, uh, and this this tends to be reality for many for so many pastors, because there's a sense of urgency, you know what I mean? Yeah. We're like, Hey, yeah. you know, th- this is, we need to make an impact for Christ. You know, this is yeah, our it's calling not just for fun. Right. Exactly. For sake. Yeah. So how, how do you, how do you balance this sense of urgency, right? That we just naturally have as those who are called on mission, right? Which mm-hmm. God has called all of us um, to, to participate in his mission. Um, as crazy as that sounds. And he's entrusted us <laughs> with this, right? So yeah. how do you balance that urgency to make a difference, to make an impact with not just um, kind of running after, you know, whatever the, the latest thing is that you happen to hear or read? Yeah, completely, completely. It's kind of like uh, when I think back to when I was 16 and I mean, on my birthday, I went to go do the driver's test, the knowledge test. I'd been I'd been studying all the way up to that point, And the day I was allowed to go and do the road test, I did it. And I remember after doing that, that's how excited I was about driving. Right. right? But I remember after doing that, that written test and I got my permit and I got into the car the first time with my dad and he was like, OK, let's go. I mean, I was like, this is going to be so easy. I have been playing the driving racing games, you know, right, the ones exactly. in the arcades <laughs> with the real wheels. I mean, I wasn't using, I wasn't doing automatic, man. I was using manual with nice. the clutch. Yeah. <laughs> right. And everywhere we went, like I was saying, like I knew everything about driving, but when I stepped into the seat, 
I didn't know a thing about, you know, I didn't know, I didn't know, I didn't know how to drive. I knew everything about driving, but I didn't know how to drive. And a lot of times in ministry, and I was really passionate about driving. Well, a lot of times in ministry, we know so much because we love learning about the other or about what's going on. Mm-hmm. And I mean, that's the thing. I mean, I love how Sun Shu, the, the guy who wrote The Art of War, put it. It's a paraphrase. He said, if you know your enemy, you'll win half the battles. But if you if you know yourself, you'll win the other half. Mm. And I'm not about to say, you know, I'm not about to pit the church down the road <laughs> as the enemy. Right. However, however, you know, a lot of times we spend as ministry leaders so much time learning about the other that we don't actually know about ourselves. That's good. We don't know why we lead the way we lead. We don't know how we lead the way we lead. We don't know. We don't know any of that. As a result, when we try to start something new or import an idea, that's why uh, oftentimes it's met with rejection because we don't know the particular context in which we are serving. Not not only our context here, right? Not only our con- our local church context, but who we are as leaders. So yeah. that's why when you think about that, I mean, in, in my book, No Silver Bullets, I, I, I talk about these four different types of churches, the copycat church, the silver bullet church, the hippie church, the intentional church. And I have assessments to help you figure out what you are, because honestly, if we if we were just to take even, I mean, maybe have, maybe the same amount of time, but even if not the same amount of time, just like a quarter of the time that we spend reading other people's stuff and learning about other people other people's context if we just spend a quarter of that time just learning about how god has created us and what's happened in the unique context of our church and ministry we're going to be much better and much further down the road than trying to import any idea yeah 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 that, and i've told in across my ministry i've seen that to be so true you know what i mean mm-hmm. and and oftentimes and i almost hate to say this because of the reality of it but you know uh, when you're young in ministry, it's kind of like you're saying you first get your driver's license, right? Yeah. You're like ready to take on the world. And I love that. You know, I love that um, kind of even about me and about young young pastors and church planners that have the opportunity to mentor and coach and stuff. I love that about it. But there are certain things that I look back and reflect on my ministry journey, and I'm thankful for God's grace because there are lots of times where I was just like, hey, let's get this done. Let's go after this. I mean, this is the kingdom, you know, this is, you know, and, and so you kind of are rushing into things, but, but it, and it took me time to learn, like, hold up. We need to figure out who we are and yeah. where we are before we can even figure out what, what's next, right? If you don't yeah. even know really where you are, it's really hard to, to determine what your next step is. Yeah. Yeah, so here's a here's a really easy example, right? Here's a here's a great question. Who do you look up to as a pastor and a church leader? Mm. Right? So I mean, even if I look at the recent guests that you've had on the podcast, right? Robbie Gallaty, Kara Powell, Ken Costa, Drew Dick, I mean, Erwin McManus, you look at all of these people, these great, great leaders that you've had on. We usually have, if if someone were to grab your phone and look through your podcast, you could probably begin forming an idea around how this person preaches right. and how this person's theology is shaped and th- you know how how it is based on who they look up to right so i think the first question for every one of your listeners is who do you look up to right is it eugene peterson j.i packer tim keller i mean who is it because the ones you follow are the ones you model mm. 
Because once you determine, and once you determine that, you can then go down the route of okay, okay, yes, the, here are all the people that I look up to, right? Now, how have they shaped me, right? So, for yeah. example, I love how you've had Erwin McManus on, right? I mean, he is such a creative thinker and one of the best storyteller uh, storytellers that I've ever heard, right? So when I listen to him preach. I'm listening specifically for the way that he engages and the way that he tells stories, right? And then when I listen to Tim Keller, I'm listening to particularly the way that he exegetes a particular passage. When mm -hmm. I listen to, right? So every single person that we listen to, there are things that we, it's not just that you, you're going to fully accept everything that that person is, right? Right? Because then, I mean, that's not who, I mean, God has only created one Jason Day, right? Oh, God has only yeah. created one, Daniel M. One, any of these other people. But it's 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 first digging into that before we can then actually forge a pathway forward. That's good. Now, now, Daniel, in No Silver Bullets, your book, which is absolutely fantastic. If you guys haven't read it and you're you're in ministry at all, and I encourage you to pick up a copy. So because it, it's so practical. I mean, just it just walks you through so much, so helpful, and a lot of a lot of what you focus on is this idea of self assessment, self awareness, yeah. right? And so, but we have kind of two pieces to that, Daniel, right? And and I hear you talking about this. So we have um, the self awareness for us as the ministry leader, the pastor, mm -hmm. and then we also have this kind of self awareness for um, the church, the ministry yeah. that we're leading. So so yeah. how how what what are some practical ways we can approach? Um, obviously, you just gave a great example of you know trying to help understand ourselves as a ministry yeah. leader, as a pastor, uh, and there are plenty of other things. I know we can. I know, for example, strengths finders. I know you're a certified strengths finder coach or, or consultant mm -hmm. or whatever, um, and and so that's a great tool that I always took my my staff through. Um, staff pastors through to have the opportunity to kind of get to know them. You know, it's kind of some some additional self awareness things. The Enneagram is huge right now, I and mean, there there are different yeah, ways for us to learn more about ourselves. Which I think, and and you've said very clearly, that is something that you never stop learning about is yourself, yes. and that's key if if we're going to lead lead for impact and influence. You know, within the church. Um, but so there's that personal self awareness. What about um, the the self awareness that we need to kind of walk through? Yeah, uh, as, as a church, yeah, and let let me let me throw out two things, Daniel. To okay, you first, sure. one, if we can talk about in, in two ways, because I'm sure, uh, and we've all been in, in this position in, in some way. Most of us who are in ministry leadership, there are some who are new to a a new ministry assignment, a new church, so they really don't have any any background or not much of background or context. All they have is what, you know, what the, the team told them as they were interviewing them. And yeah, which uh, you know, all we, of it. exactly. Which we know <laughs> what that's like. Right. So, um, uh, so you've, and then, so we have that, but then also we have lots of pastors and ministry leaders who've been, um, in a church for, mm -hmm. you know, multiple years and they've been faithfully serving week in, week out. And yet they feel God calling them, they they know there's a deeper work God wants to do in their church and through their church to their community, right? So yeah. so let's talk about self-awareness, and if we can, talk a little bit about, and maybe some of the things cross over, right? And if they do, yeah. just yeah, just walk us through that. But, but those kind of two different scenarios, one, a newer church setting, but the other one is, man, we've been here, we've been, you know, we've been faithfully serving, but we know there's, there's something deeper that God wants to do. So, yeah, no, that's really good. So, so when you think about those two concepts, 
context, right? And earlier on, you were talking about churches that are wanting to revitalize. Mm -hmm. And I think this applies also for new church plants as well, because here's the thing. I mean, a lot of times you think, oh, the context of the church, the history of the church, the culture of the church, if I just plant a new church, then I don't need to worry about it. Right? Well, wrong. (laughs) And here's the thing. It's because everyone that comes... Everyone, okay, in a, in a revitalizing context, everyone that is at your church, obviously there are previous, there have been previous pastors, right? And it's not only just about who has been pastors and what's the culture of that church, but it's the entire region as well. But in a new church plant, everyone is still coming with that same thing. It's just not all the same. Right. So it's different. So the question that I would always ask, especially if you're a brand new, uh, if you're going into a brand new context, if you're interviewing at a church or you're about to start in a new assignment, um, and this this can be a, you are going into a church or you're changing roles within the church, I would always have and I would always start with a season of listening where you ask people, what do you hope never changes? Mm. Because when you ask them the question, what do you hope never changes, what you're going to get is you're going to get, you're you're asking a question on the side. So a lot of times if you ask straightforward questions about, hey, what do you think would be successful for me to do here? Or or what did the person do bad? Or what, you know, you're going to get the answer that they have been thinking about that is on the top of their head. But if you get at it from the side, if you kind of flank them, Right. What you, right. And you say, hey, what do you hope never changes? Then you're actually going to get into the nostalgia part mm. and you're going to get into what they truly value. That's good. So ask that question. Ask that question. Ask it to as many people as you can. But also also consider the geographical context of the church and how that might affect the way that you do ministry and programming. So, for example, I am pro multi-site and I'm pro church planting, mm-hmm. right? Uh, both, and I think a lot of churches can do both end. And there are a lot of multi-site churches that shouldn't be doing multi-site, but they just got into it because it was the thing to do, and they didn't want to build a bigger building or they didn't want to move this or that, and and they're kind of struggling. There's a lot of multi-site churches at two campuses, and they're like, I don't really know what we're doing, and it's a constant fight. Mm. So there, there's that whole side of the conversation we can get into, right? So you got multi-site and you got church plants. Now, the reason I bring this all up is consider Seattle, for example. There's nothing wrong with multi-site as a strategy to reach the lost. But a multi-site video venue model in Seattle is probably not something that I would encourage a church to do if they are trying to get into multi-site in Seattle. Specifically because of the context of... Yeah, specifically because of what happened with Mars Hill there. Right, right. There's nothing wrong with multi-site. I'm pro-multi-site and I'm pro-live teaching and video. I mean, I've been a part of both. Right. But during the next, for the next 10, 20 years, I just would not advise that as a strategy, particularly there, if you aren't already doing it, like as a new strategy. Right. So there's this context where, you know, that is completely fine to work elsewhere, and that's where you you really have to have that listening posture for those who are in your church, but also be a student of what are the other churches doing in the context and what you can learn from that there. That's good. So let's let's take it one step further. So we're looking sure. at getting feedback from our whether if it's a new plant, you know, core team members or getting feedback from if it's existing church, you know, people who are part of that church. Um, we're looking at the context, what other churches have have done or doing um, in that particular region, that particular area. 
What about the, the the next step, kind of getting some, you know, handles on the context um, of life in that city, in that area, outside of church? Like just what, you know, what the culture is for the city yeah. as a whole, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. Take public transit if the city has public transit. Mm, yeah. <laughs> All right, walk the city. And sometimes if you're in a rural area that you can't do that <laughs> because yeah. uh, there the is no walk. public transit. Right. Yeah, and there yeah, you won't be able to do that. But but I would I would try to do that. I would try to find the watering holes of the city and I would listen. I would really take that posture of listening. The smaller the city is, I found, the longer it's going to take for you to gain influence and trust with the leaders there. Right. One of my one of my friends uh, one time he was in he was in seminary and he was telling me that he was preaching uh, at this. He was pastoring at this church during his seminary years and and he was introducing himself. Um, well, he, he saw one of his congregants in the in, in a cafe. And his uh, one of the congregants was meeting with his friend, and the congregant introduced him as, "Hey, this is my preacher," to his <laughs> friend. Hey, this is my preacher. And then afterwards, you know, my friend was kind of like, "Oh, that's kind of weird." He didn't bring it up there. And later on, he talked to me. He's like, "Oh, why did you, why did you introduce me as your preacher? I'm your pastor." And he's like, "No, you're not my pastor. You're my preacher because you're gonna. You've only been here for a little bit. Mm. You're my pastor when you've been here for you know so long." And I've done work with rural context and rural churches and and in typically in a rural context, it's about seven years ish ish that it takes for the church and for the city to to see you as their pastor and to see you as someone who's gonna stay. Wow. Right. That's, so I mean that yeah. yeah. So depending on your context, I mean it's gonna flip, right? Versus an urban context that's highly transient. It's obviously not going to take seven years because most of the people aren't around for seven right, years. Yeah. <laughs> right. That's interesting. So, um, and you, and you write and, and and talk a lot about this, um, this idea of understanding not only the self awareness, but then the fact that is this kind of movement, this direction that the church is moving in. Yeah. And you're inviting people on this this journey. So, mm-hmm. talk to us a little bit about. Because I, I know that kind of the disciple making discipleship process is is huge part of your ministry, yeah. uh, your coaching, your training, and and you walk this out through through the book No Silver Bullets. But mm-hmm. um, talk to me a little bit about how that plays in. So we have the self awareness piece is highly important. How does the the idea of this kind of disciple making discipleship journey fit into? Revitalization, and and let yeah. let me say something real fast uh, because sure. oftentimes when we're looking at revitalization, um, we think of two things. Right? You know, we need to grow deeper spiritually, yes, 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 and we also need to grow, you know, bigger as as far as influence in the community, reaching new people who do not yet know Jesus. Which you know, it's hard to argue either of those things, right? Those are both <laughs> very important. Jesus made that clear. So, and and some people will focus maybe more on one and the other, but you you talk to us about how these these things kind of come together. You write about how these things come together. So, so help us understand after the self-awareness piece, where do you, you know, recommend pastors, ministry leaders who are looking to revitalize, where do they begin to move next after this just reflection and assessment? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'll, I'll say a statement, but the thing that I need to preface this statement uh, first with is the idea that we often teach the way that we've been taught. Okay. Okay. So that's not the statement, but that's the that's what I need to preface it with. So we are in, especially in the West, we are a result of our Western educational system, which you have to put your time in, 
you get your certificate, you get your degree, you get your credit hours, and then you're good to go, right? That's, mm-hmm. that's just, it's not neither right nor wrong. It's just what it is today. As a result, this is actually seeped into the way that a lot of church leaders view discipleship. They view discipleship as about getting to a destination, mm. right? It's all about putting your time in, getting your credit hours, doing your study, you know, for your church members, completing the classes, getting the check marks, and then getting down the road. And then now that they've done all these classes and met all these requirements and checked off all these things, now they can lead and now they can do this because they're obviously mature Mm. because look at their transcript, right? Right, right. You wouldn't call it a transcript to the church, but that's essentially a lot of times what we do. Now, the issue with that, right? The issue is now when I explain it like that, most pastors are like, no, that's well, that's, we don't do it like that. <laughs> that sounds horrible. <laughs> right. And 99% of the time, this is, this is the reaction. It's like, yeah, when I say it like that, obviously that's not how we want it to be, but sadly that's what we do. So a lot of churches will see discipleship as a program. They'll see it as a program. Whereas in reality, when you look at the, uh, when you look at the scriptures, discipleship is actually more about the direction you're moving in rather than the destination that you've arrived. Mm. So it's the direction you're moving in. And we see that biblically, right? We see it from running the race of faith with perseverance. I mean, you see it in so many different passages. So uh, here's a, here's a biblical example that I love using. And I just feel like it, it completely clarifies the difference between discipleship as destination and discipleship as direction. Right. So think about compare a Pharisee with the the woman, the Samaritan woman at the well. So the Pharisee, a lot of times we give Pharisees bad raps because we see them as hypocrites. We see them as fully grown hypocrites and, you know, they killed Jesus. So obviously we would (laughs) see them in a negative lens. But think about it. When that Pharisee was a little kid, I'm sure they weren't like that. I'm sure as they were following, as they were chosen by the, by the rabbi, right, they, they had studied the, the Pentateuch and they, they, they were like, okay, well, I was chosen. I got to study the Torah and, and I'm going to learn. I'm going to memorize. I'm going to follow the ways of the rabbi. I'm gonna, I was chosen to do this, not the family trade. And I'm sure there was just this whole point where they were learning, checking things off, growing. And, but, but maybe it was when they were like preteens <laughs> where they started getting a little cynical. Yeah. They're like, oh, I don't know about this. And they're just going. Going through the motions, right? Not to say that Samuel's sons, um, you know, were Pharisees, but I mean, they, you you see the uh, not Samuel, Eli's sons, Eli, right? Right? You see their, you see how they kind of took that all uh, for advantage as priests. So you kind of see that, right? And but but here's the thing: a lot of times we 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 forget that Pharisees probably were sincere about their faith at some point, and as they got closer to God. Uh, at some point, they probably turned their backs on him. They changed the direction. Mm. So maybe they were really close to God, but and, and they knew a lot about God, but they didn't know God. Versus the Samaritan woman at the well, right? Imagine her. She's probably as far away from God, uh, you know, especially compared to that Pharisee. She is super far away, and she is not even pointing in the direction of God. Yet when she met Jesus, everything changed, yeah. and her direction changed. And instead of pointing away from God, she pointed to him. Even though she didn't she didn't know much about God, she knew him. Now, compare the two. The Pharisee is super close to God, but pointing the other direction. And the Samaritan woman is super far away from God, but pointing in the right direction. 
who would you rather have in your church? Yeah. So when you think about it from that perspective and you compare the difference between a destination approach to discipleship versus a directional approach to discipleship, I mean, when I, especially when I explain it like that, in light of what I said earlier, every pastor listening is going to be like, yeah, of course, of course I want discipleship to be directional. Of course that's the biblical way to do it. Of course I don't want it to be destination, but how? Right, right. Right? Because we're byproducts of our Western educational system. So that so that's that's the big tension that I wrestle with. Yeah, that's good. So as as we're looking at this shift from yeah. discipleship as destination mm-hmm. um, to shifting to discipleship as direction. Yeah. And we're thinking, you know, the big picture, what we've been talking about during this conversation is revitalizing our churches to to have a bigger impact for the kingdom. Mm-hmm. Um, how do you practically speaking yeah, how do you make that shift? And, and I guess we we could say, if you're planting a church, you might have a little bit of advantage there because you can kind of start off laying things out, you know, yeah. kind of directionally. But let's let's think of you know many of our our pastors are are leading churches that are established. So how do you begin to make this this shift from destination to direction when it comes to Disciple making. Yeah, no, that's a really good question. And, and I mean, practically speaking, I would say take everything that you're doing in your church that you would say is there because you're wanting to grow people to, you know, to become more like Christ, mm-hmm. right? Everything that you're doing that's discipleship related, I just throw it all on a whiteboard, all right. on a whiteboard. And I'd have three categories which of these are first steps, which of these are next steps. And which of these are ongoing steps? Mm. And the reason I would ask you to start there is because when you look at everything on the board, and this is the whole thing about us copying models and ideas and all that stuff, a lot of church leaders are great at starting things, but we're horrible at stopping them. Uh. So the older the church gets, the more established it becomes. There's just a lot of stuff Right. That happens in the church. <laughs> right, right, right. Especially when you have your own building, right? And it's like, got to keep the building full. Got to keep it, you know, uh, per use cost. And, you know, you're just going to go all the <laughs> way down that road. And, and it's like, oh, I, you know, so I would just throw it all on the board together. Don't do it by yourself. Do it with your team, whether it's paid staff team or a volunteer team. And just take it all in, <laughs> you know, and, and, and take a big breath. Right. And then grab a red Sharpie. No, I'm not. I'm, no, I'm just kidding. You know, don't <laughs> don't kill everything because you'll probably lose your job if you start <laughs> yeah. destroying and, and knocking off all your ministry areas. Rather, take the categories of first step and ongoing, first, next and ongoing and ask yourself the question. Ask your, your yourself as a team this question. Which of these things are so critical to becoming like Jesus to to the discipleship process that they are ongoing, that they never stop? Mm. Right. What are the things that should never that you never grow out of? And and these ongoing steps are something that a brand new Christian should be doing or should be learning how to do. And also someone who's been a Christian for 60 years. Mm. Right. Or regardless of elder, deacon, pastor, just everyone. These are the ongoing steps, the ongoing things that never end on this side of eternity. Once you clarify those things and and, you know, an example is reading the Bible. Right. Right. Reading the Bible is something no one should ever grow out of. 
right? Worshiping with others on the weekend or worshiping with others on a regular basis, corporate worship. It's one of those things that's just, you know, just look through the book of Acts, <laughs> right? Right. Regardless of whether you're like organic church, house church, mega church, you know, it doesn't matter. Corporate worship is critical to the development of a believer and the formation of a believer, right? So you have these ongoing things that just you never grow out of. Once you identify those things, then figure out, okay, if those are the things that are so important, which of everything else that we do are first steps? The, th- the things that not everyone should be doing. And if you've been coming to the church for 50 years or 15 years or 15 months, you shouldn't be doing these because these are really only for brand new people to the church or brand new believers. Mm. What are those first steps? And then everything else are these all legitimate next steps where someone is doing, you know, they're doing these ongoing steps of being a follower of Christ and growing as a believer. And then they're going to jump into one of these next steps, kind of an on-ramp. And then after they do this next step, they then off-ramp back into the ongoing. Hmm. Right. When you look at everything you do from the first next and ongoing steps framework, what you need to, what, and this is super critical to understand everything in the first and the next steps Categories are temporary. They're short-term. A lot of churches that move down the copycat route, first, next, ongoing, they don't have those categories and everything, nothing's short-term, nothing, and maybe some things are short-term, but there's no definition around what's short-term and what's long-term. As a result, highly programmatic churches, right, copycat or silver bullet churches, as I'll illustrate in the book, they're going to be highly programized because every – because all of these things that should be short-term next step experiences, people just hop from one next step to the next. Oh, I've done that program. Let's mm-hmm. do this one. Oh, I've done that one. Now I'm going to do this one. Oh, I'm done. That. And they just go to all of these next steps and they they gather this entire list of look at all that I've done, completed. Shouldn't I be mature when maybe they're actually not practicing the very things, the ongoing steps that's going to grow them and help them become self-feeders. Mm, So Christians who live in the next step world, they're consumers. They're consumers because the entire point of the next step is to give you an experience. It's a conference, right? It's a, it's a deeper study. It's this or that. And it's all about teaching you. I am teaching you. I'm getting, you know, I've prepared this material that I'm going to help you with. That's the whole point of the next step experience. But if you live there, you never learn how to grab a spoon and feed yourself because someone else is feeding you the entire time. Wow, that's cool, bro. That is very <laughs> good. Very good, yeah. Um, so I, so the ongoing, you gave some great examples of ongoing. For the next steps, you just kind of touched on uh, maybe a couple, maybe it's a, a, a deeper Bible study or, or whatever. So I envision like, you know, oftentimes we'll see, you know, these big menus of, you know, all these different classes or all these different courses that you can dive into. Um, yeah, yeah, so that, yeah. So is that – so why, why don't you, for our listeners, give a couple examples of some next step things and some first step things as well? Sure. Okay. Uh-huh. So uh, next steps, think three Ds, uh, discover, deepen, and deploy. They're, those are really the three categories of next steps. So anything that's a discover next step, so they're kind of subcategories within the next steps. Mm-hmm. Discover is all about, hey, what kind of classes – or events do you have, or seminars, or you know anything like that, or studies? What do you have for individuals curious about Christianity? Right. So Alpha is a great example. Yeah. yeah. Right. 
that would be a great discover next step. A deepened next step would be a class, a seminar, a conference, say, you know, anything that has a clear start and end date, right? All of these have clear start and end dates, but the focus is on deepening your faith, right? Mm-hmm. So, for example, uh, when it was Reformation, you know, big Reformation year, you know, a couple of years ago, or maybe it was last year, and, and everyone was studying about the Reformation, I mean, right. Maybe you never you you never talked about this, <laughs> yeah. Right, but that year was it, that would be a great year. Whether you are Lutheran or you know whatever you, you know whether you like Martin Luther or not, <laughs> right, right. I'm not going to go into the theology side. It would be great to just have a class on Luther and the Reformation, mm-hmm. right? Just for people to grow deeper in their faith. To know, or Bonhoeffer is a great. I mean, there's been a lot of biographies, right? right? So Bonhoeffer would be another one where you have a great, or maybe it's a spiritual discipline class, right? On on lectio divina or fasting or prayer or Bible reading or this or that. Any of these classes, these deep in classes that are just intended to, you can't cover it in a 30 minute sermon, right? You just have to have longer time and more interactive uh, learn uh, exercises to help people grow. That would be a great deep and next step. A deploy one would be all about how do you. Uh, what what kind of experience or step or class would you have to release people into service? So maybe discovering their spiritual gifts or a strengths finder or, or how do you best serve or any of these things where you're just um, – maybe it's even a serve, right? A serve at a particular ministry across the city or international mission trip. That would be a great deploy next step, right? So when you yep. think about all of your next steps, just categorize them between deepen, discover, and deploy, uh, yeah, discover, deepen, and deploy. The first steps mm-hmm. would be uh, I would you know think about ABC. So what are your actions? What are your biases? And what are your classes? So this it's not really the same thing as discover, deepen, and deploy. It's more about how do you how do you welcome and identify individuals into your into the life of your church. So what are the things that you do? to welcome them? Is it an announcement from the stage? Is it in the bulletin? How are you, what are your actions that you are doing to welcome people into the life of your church to recognize them? But then what are the biases in the way that you do things? Because that that goes back to the self-awareness side of it. What are those biases? And then what class do you have? Uh, What experience do you have for your newcomers to come in? And the thing that I'm seeing a lot and helping a lot of churches with is instead of having the once a month, hour and a half class that is in a specific room that people need to walk to, what if you had short one, two, five, ten minute experiences after each service that you direct newcomers to? Mm. Not going into a room because that's threatening. That's like, oh, you're going to close the door behind me. I've committed to something. But what if it's an open designated space for newcomers that you're not even asking your newcomers from stage and on the Sunday morning to to go to this class or to sign up for this thing or anything? You're just saying, hey, if you're brand new, hey, we want to meet you at this area outside of the lobby or in the lobby or at the back of the service or this or that. And we just want to we just want to connect with you. And, and, you know, a lot of churches give a free gift, this, that or the other. But mm-hmm. instead of moving people into a class, you get them there have that personal connection, connect with them, right? What are your actions? And then you can invite them into an experience where, oh, here's something that would be great for, here's a great next step, or, or maybe that in and of itself is a great five, 10 minute time where you can tell them the vision of the church and then help them get plugged in. Yeah, yeah, no, that's good. That's, mm. that's excellent. I love that. I love um, how you kind of walk us through breaking down because this also, you know, leads right 
back to that self-assessment. You know, if you're, if you're yeah. breaking down everything you're doing when it comes to helping people become more like Christ, right? And you're putting mm-hmm. it on a whiteboard and you're categorizing and you're seeing, okay, what needs to stay? What needs to go all together? And then where do things fit? And how do we continue to help people understand this idea of the direction their life is moving rather than, like you said, you know, you you go through all the, the courses and you get your diploma and, you know, you get your transcript yeah. and you're bing, <laughs> mature, right? You're just yeah. like Jesus then. So um, <laughs> we know the reality is it's uh, it's ongoing for all of us. So that's super, super helpful. And that um, tells us real quickly, you don't have a ton of time left, but tell us real quickly, like some of the churches that you've worked with who've been able to move to this discipleship as direction. How has that impacted the church as a whole when it comes to um, revitalizing, you know what I mean? Yeah. What does that yeah. look like? For sure, for sure. So so when it comes into the church and it, it really gets into how do you plan your ministry, right? Because every church is on an annual basis should be evaluating what you've done and, and coming up with ideas as to, hey, what are we going to do this next year? Is it particular events or studies or this or that? So when it comes to, into the ministry planning cycle, uh, what happens when you shift to a directional approach to discipleship, you actually begin looking at, okay, what are the ongoing steps and what are the things and what what is first, what is next? So your entire ministry, every, you know, the kids minister, uh, the, the student pastor, the, you know, every, the guest services person, worship, everyone is thinking about those categories and they're saying, what are we doing to help people move ultimately to the ongoing steps? Right. So even, for example, worship ministry, if the worship ministry and this is a this is a really common tension, right? It's like, are people in the worship band? Is that a small group? (laughs) (laughs) Right. Is that a small group or should they be in a separate small group? No. The thing is, it's not about getting into a small group and it's not about the small group pastor considering every grouping of people a small group to try to up their numbers. Right. Um, what, What it is, is. Do the worship are the worship team members in a regular environment where they belong, where they can grow, where they can be transparent, where where there's that ongoing connection, right? Is there that aspect? And it's not about just playing, right? Can they be vulnerable? Can they be transparent? Can they are people challenging them? Are people speaking the gospel into their life, right? So there are these characteristics, there are these criteria that you have, but instead of looking at it from a black and white, no, but they're not in a small group that is doing this particular study. Mm-hmm. But you're actually looking at it from the perspective of values. Then every then every ministry area can actually say, okay, well, here's how we are actually contributing to people moving into the ongoing steps and growing as a disciple of Christ. So you know, super practically, anyone leading or in a next step, even when you do the whole Bonhoeffer thing, for example, mm-hmm. the a win isn't numbers, right? Because this is, I mean, this is the thing about a lot of churches. It's all about up and to the right, right? You want more people in classes, especially the the more programmatic churches. They just want more. They want higher numbers this year than last year. Right. But the the thing is, if let's say you're doing a class on Bonhoeffer or on the spiritual disciplines, the goal is not actually – the metric is not actually how many people went to that class. The goal and the metric should be how many people went through the material. So if you're really doing this well – you would take that spiritual disciplines material or the Bonhoeffer material, you would give that to all of your small groups. 
And you would say, hey, guys, we are going to announce this as a church, as a next step, a one-time event where we're going to be teaching this. But, hey, if you want to do this in your group with your group, then here you go. Or come as your group to that experience instead of meeting as a group that week. Mm. So what ends up happening, it's not about how many people attended, it's how many people went through so that when people actually, when you announce it from the stage, you're saying, hey, everyone, if you're not plugged into a life group, if you've been coming here for a while and you're just wanting, I mean, you loved what we talked about today about, about the spiritual disciplines and you just want to go a little bit deeper, then we want to invite you to this one-time class. It's two hours long or it's an hour and a half. We're going to have great coffee. It's going to be you know, offered on this time and this time. And we'd love for you to come. No strings attached. You don't, I mean, this is just, this is not for everyone. This is only for you. If you're a dad and you have been struggling with just getting connected because you don't have the time to get into a life group, right? And you're busy with work and then driving your kids to baseball and to this and that. I mean, we have designed this specifically for you. If you're a mom, right? So you see what I'm doing. I'm, right. I'm narrowing in who I want. Because when I when I narrow it in, and this goes into the entire concept around echo chambers that I write about as well. It's just, I mean, it's when you narrow it in, then people are going to be like, "Oh, that's me. Right, okay, right. I better go." Whereas a lot of times in church ministry, we we ministry programming announcements, everything, we just say this is for everyone because we want numbers to go up into the <laughs> yeah, right, right, right. <laughs> but actually, that's not a that's not a success. So the big practical thing I'd say is just change your metrics, right? Mm. Evaluate your metrics. That's good. That's good. And there's been so much conversation ab- around metrics. I mean, and that there'll be an ongoing conversation in the church world, I'm, I'm sure. And so I, I love, I love the idea of reevaluating our metrics and stepping back and reflecting on them and, and trying to find out like what, you know, cause you know, we often say, you know, what matters gets measured. And, yeah. um, so we have to decide really what matters. Uh, you know what I mean? When it comes down to metrics. So I love that. I love, I love how this all kind of helps set the local church up on this kind of journey to growing uh, deeper and to really um, engaging more with people along their journey with Jesus. So there are these entry points and then there are these ways for people to um, uh, grow and deepen. And, and it just, it just provides Really, not not so much um, a program which we see mm. so often, but it, it you know it, it provides kind of this framework, you know, for for people to kind of step into and find, like you said, where where do they fit into this, and then how do they um, take those next steps? So I think it's Completely. very very healthy. It's awesome, brother. Well, man, I love having you on. We could literally talk for hours. <laughs> it's true. Um, <laughs> and uh, by one, encourage people. Um, we referenced your book, No Silver Bullets, uh, multiple times. Again, it's a fantastic book. If if someone wants to find that book, uh, is there a, the best place that they can go? Or do you uh, have a place Yeah, you can just – I mean if you just look up No Silver Bullets, wherever books are sold, uh, on Amazon, Lifeway, wherever, you can do that and, and you'll you'll see it. Awesome. It'll pop up. Yeah. Perfect, brother. And then if people want to connect with you, um, yeah. if something they heard they want to connect with you more directly, how can they do that? Yeah, so danielm.com. Uh, last name is two letters, I-M. So danielm.com. There you can find my links to social, Instagram, Twitter, all that stuff. And uh, there I write and, you know, that's that's probably the best way to connect, Perfect. danielm.com, and then you can find my links there. 
Awesome. And we'll have uh, links in the show notes to to all that great stuff. Daniel, I appreciate you, brother. I appreciate all you're doing for the kingdom. And uh, thank you for being with us on the Church Leaders Podcast. Likewise. Thanks, Jason. I appreciate you taking the time to be with us on this week's episode. Every week as we are putting the episodes together, we're thinking of you, our pastors and ministry leaders, and striving to provide insightful and inspiring interviews as you seek to grow as a kingdom leader. So we hope you're finding value from the Church Leaders Podcast. And if so, we'd certainly appreciate you taking a few moments to head over to iTunes and leave us a review. Your positive reviews and ratings help other church leaders more easily find our podcasts so they too can benefit from these interviews. Again, we thank you in advance, and if you have any comments, any questions, suggestions, or ideas for guests, I would love to hear from you. You can send me an email to podcast at churchleaders.com, or you can connect with me on Twitter. Finally, you can find this podcast as well as other great faith-based podcasts on the FaithPlay app. It's available for both Apple and Android, and so we encourage you to check that out as well. So until next time, this is Jason Day encouraging you to love well, and lead well. You've been listening to the Church Leaders Podcast. For articles, videos, and free resources that will help you lead better every day, visit our website at churchleaders.com. Thanks for listening.